Hello, and welcome to Over To You. My name is Felix. I'm a director, a photographer. Prior to that, I was a session musician for 10 plus years, and I toured the world extensively, which allowed me to meet some pretty interesting individuals, including my guest today. I came to New York to start this series, and I wanted to start with someone that I consider to be uh, a huge influence on the New York that I've grown to love. He is what I would refer to as a master of political and social satire, uh, uh, a social observer, a political observer, and certainly a comedian, an artist, a poet. A lot of you will know him as Samo or others as Al Diaz, and I'd like to welcome him to the podcast. And thank you for such a wonderful intro. <laughs> um, wow. Uh, so, I also saw you last night at a packed event that you had as an exhibition. Yeah, that was very cool. Yep. It was a very New York event, South Bronx at uh, Crash One's Gallery, the Wall Works on Bruckner Boulevard. It was a, a good, a nice cross section of, of the graffiti world. A lot oh, of old school guys. Some legends in there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's you know, and it's it's always good because it's I mean, with this sort of stuff, you know, like you know, being in the art world and stuff like that, you want to stay. You don't want to be like alienate uh, your roots. You know, you got to stay kind of, even if you're doing other stuff that has not, that's not necessarily that the graffiti circuit. Right. It's nice to to stay, you know, to touch base every now and show in a space and have that kind of environment going on. It really feels like that as well. I, I, I felt the same way when I, I came and saw you last year when you were doing the uh, Great Jones gallery space, um, which was pretty impressive as well. That that place has been through some some serious. Yeah, that those if the walls could talk type thing. Right. That place was, you know, that was Jean-Michel's um uh, living space and studio for five years, which he rented from a reluctant Andy Warhol. From what I understand, he was like, I don't know if he can afford to pay the rent. Because, <laughs> well, the, you know, the, the, the story is that Andy was before anything a businessman. So right. Even with a, a relationship like that, he was kind of hesitant to, to rent it to him. And I, I but, heard from there, Andy took it from Al Capone. Is that no? That's see. That's that's the the, the information. It it was Paul Kelly's place back in nineteen twenty, like nineteen twenty or nineteen thirteen or something. Early, right. early pre mafia. Al Capone was an employee of Paul Kelly, but Paul Kelly was the first like suit and tie gangster. Right. He got that. He was the the kind of the the. The prototype for the for that style of gangster. Wow! And he was, yeah, it was pre-mafia. It was, it was. I mean, it was. You know, he was an Irish guy who, no, he was an Italian guy who changed his name to Paul Kelly. Right. So, but he, but he came up through the ranks. He was. He started out as a as a boxer and a street thug, and but he became a very powerful gangster. And there was like a famous shootout at that place. And but the, but they they were. But they came from. They came. They were offshoot of Paul Kelly's gang, so yeah. that's that's where. And I think that it probably changed hands like a number of times before Warhol got got you know hold of it. But it had this history of being a famous. You know, there was a, a gangland uh, um, history to the building. Right. And I believe that he had sort of. This is what I've heard. I don't know this for sure, but. It, 
he had sort of a, a romance and uh, attraction to the whole the gangsterism and get you know the romance of gangsters of right new york gangsters and for that reason bought the building which to me kind of sounds for real <laughs> uh, yeah i i wouldn't put it past everything that i feel like i know about him as a character and i think that's what interests me so much about this city that the things that i love tend to have come from an era which you grew up in so it's an era which i can only romanticize about from reading and speaking to people like yourself and actually a lot of these people sadly and are no longer with us but that's a period of time where it was like just coming into the birth of hip-hop graffiti was becoming a thing and new york also was a place that it certainly isn't today like you couldn't walk around in the lower east side you couldn't you couldn't walk around in the bronx or harlem or anywhere well if you were if you were unfamiliar with the with the territory i mean as a tourist as a tourist yeah there's no <laughs> but there was no reason for you to go there sure I mean, unless you were you know like a a wayward tourist right i mean that's or a like tourist me. looking to score some heroin or something i mean i went to jamaica by myself a year ago <laughs> against all the advice of every jamaican i know uh they were like don't fucking do that why are you going by yourself and i was like ah, how bad can it be <laughs> where'd you go spanish i went town, uh, dude i went places. everywhere you know what's crazy i i went i so i landed in kingston i just airbnb'd a place and there was a restaurant in the house and it was just this one dude just cooking up ital food right and cool. uh and I'd, I'd done a bit of research and i was like i want to find a place that has vegan food that you know that's going to be a vibe so I, I walk in this guy's just cooking up and there's just a couple of other cats hanging out this one dude rolls up in this beat up car like you know yeah, yeah, yeah. just beat up yeah and he's head to toe in this like, insane two-piece and uh <laughs> he's like blazed out of his skull he comes in orders some food sits down asks me why i'm here you wow and, I, and then i gave him the rundown and he was like all right cool I'm coming back here at eight o'clock tomorrow morning and you're going to get in my car and we're going to go to Trenchtown and I'm going to introduce you to the mayor of Trenchtown. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I'm not going to say no to this dude. So lo and behold, he, he, he wasn't quite there at eight o'clock, which is not surprising considering how much weed he'd smoked during that time. But he turns up, we get in his car. I mean, this thing barely ran. And, and halfway through, he's like, yo, I'd, Two things happened which absolutely blew my mind. One was like we stopped at a gas station and this dude didn't even turn his engine off. The guy, like the clerk just came, just pumped gas whilst While the engine the was running. running. And this dude's smoking a fucking joint. Wow. Whilst, and I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, it's just how we, how we roll here. So that happened. <laughs> and then further we pushed into the hood these kids would like run up to the car you know like here you get someone wiping your window doing whatever these kids were, were straight less up being and like, less of that here in like York. hands in the window and this cat had i shit you not like a pile of weed in yeah. the center console and he would just grab handfuls and give it to the kids and then and that's how they would fuck off <laughs> but if he didn't do that and they knew that he'd done it at the light prior because they'll tell each other then they just wouldn't leave wow they like stand in front of the car so i was like oh it's real here so anyway we get into trench town <laughs> and he was he took me to the borderlines where they shoot at one another from across the street he's like this is the most dangerous place in in the entirety of the country He's like, but because you're because you're with me, you're safe. I'm going to introduce you to some people, and we roll. And this this cat that he introduced me to was really cool, and he let me into his house. He let me shoot some portraits, and uh, you know, we had a we had a good time. We ate some food. Wow. The amount of weed I got offered whilst I was there was like in the, yeah, unimaginable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, I survived that. 
uh, and actually we became friends. Then he tried to pitch me on some mad business idea, and I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm probably going <laughs> to <laughs> pass on that one. But uh, you know, <laughs> that's great. That's a great story. And uh, anyway, yeah, but I mean, I survived it. But I, I'll tell you something. Out of everything, like I got hustled all the fucking time. Of like, course. But the thing that fucked with me the most was was the mosquitoes. Yeah. And, like I've been to a lot of equator countries but jamaica for some reason the mosquitoes didn't give a fuck they it was next level i felt like i was being eaten alive and i jumped in the ocean one day and it just felt like jumping into acid because i was so bitten up Ugh. and at that point i was like i'm going home wow. <laughs> like I'm, I'm done so that's, i bounced that's interesting because my my girlfriend was just saying how, I, how she never had any problems with the mosquitoes in in jamaica I mean, like specifically Jamaica, and then to hear you telling me the opposite, like, the opposite. Like. But I never have mosquito <laughs> issues. Like I spent weeks in Thailand and in Indonesia, and like didn't get bitten once. But I go to this fucking island, and it was nonstop. Wow! And it didn't no matter what I did, I was putting on the hardest <laughs> oh God, of, of repellent. Nothing. <laughs> Uh, yeah yeah that stuff that melts plastic and your brain i actually yeah, yeah, i try yeah, not yeah. to use it like i was using this other stuff called incognito which is actually really good really apart from in jamaica so uh but it, yeah they were immune <laughs> to incognito yeah they, they were they were not interested so anyway slightly sidetracking there but on the subject of unsafe places new york to me now actually is one of what I feel to be the safest places. I think to, it is, yeah. like, statistically, yeah. like crime-wise and all that, it has become one of the safer cities. Right. Um, it certainly feels that way. Certainly, like, I think south of Harlem, down, right down to the lower well, end of the Well, yeah, cities. all over, and, and, you know, areas that were once, you, you know, you had to watch your back, and right. it's just, it's not, the, you, it, it, that feeling is gone, you know? I mean, it's just, I... I mean, and it's, it's, I think it's not just because I'm so familiar with the city. Yeah, I mean, I could be anywhere in, 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 in any of the boroughs and feel somewhat at home. And not at home, but, you know, confident that I'm not going to, that something crazy is not going to happen. Right. But it, that, it just, yeah, it's, it's less and less uh, vigilance needed to, to walk around. I mean, even though you, it's, it's, you know, it's something that's inherent for me. Because I always watch my back, if, especially if I'm out two in the morning, I'm going to look both ways, you know. But it's it's just not as much of a of a of a, a threat as it used to be. So yeah, I mean that's probably a good way to. Firstly, actually, I think it's more important for those people that are listening that perhaps don't know who you are. We skipped over this immediately, and <laughs> uh, I'd really like to just do a basic introduction on on you, bar what I've said, just sure, how you feel sure, you would sure. want to. Yeah, explain who you well, are. Well, I grew up here. I grew up here in the lower in uh, the Lower East Side area of of, Man, of Manhattan, which used to be. I mean, it's it's still. I mean, there are sections that it's. There's a lot of housing projects there still, but it's not nearly as as um, um, ward uh, tore down and and. Uh, it's just it was a ghetto. It was a slum back in when I grew up in the '60s and '70s. And now it's it just it seems a little more working class, more stable, and the peripheral buildings around it are, are you know I mean expensive apartments to live in that can you know, people spend you know th three and a half grand to live to, to live in a studio there. So. Right. But it wasn't anything like that when I grew up there. It was it was the hood. It was a a, a, a slum. Are we talking Alphabet City? Alphabet or? City. I grew up on Avenue D, and the housing projects, which is 
separate from the tenements. Right. But the tenements were very run down. Half of them are, are no longer exi- exist there. Um, a lot. Th- a lot of those buildings were burnt down, replaced, and you know. Uh, but back then, so there was a lot of there was still there was it wasn't quite abandoned yet. There was still a lot of occup- occupied buildings when I was a kid. And but the 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 amount of crime and and drugs were were you know it was it was huge there. It was a one. There was one one street uh, between one alley, not an alley. It was a lot. It was where there two or three buildings had been burnt down and became an, a, a a lot that went from one side of the street to the other. Some so it was like from Sixth Street to Seventh Street. You could walk through, and it was it was called the lot, and it was probably the world's largest open air drug market. I mean, it was insane. You could buy anything. You just walk through, and there was people. Yo, I got I got heroin. I got acid. I got. Right. I remember buying uh, this sunshine, uh, pink barrel sunshine acid, when I was fourteen. I was fourteen. So, so you could just go and buy dr- kids could buy drugs. Right. And uh, yeah, so and heroin. My the the building where I lived, where I grew up in, the roof landing. I lived on the top floor. And the next landing was the roof landing, which was a enclosed structure, but it, it led out to the roof. There were no apartments up there. Um, it, it was a hangout or a shooting gallery for like a lot of the local junkies, people that lived in the building who were strung out on heroin. They would go up there because you know it was there was some sense of privacy and stuff like that. But they hang out up there, and we you know as kids we go up there and see them the dudes nodding out. And, find their paraphernalia and stuff like that yeah a few times um like one time i recall there was a guy who almost died in front of my actual front door the apartment door and my mother saved saved brought him back to 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 life with a you know a few ice trays <laughs> down the pants and stuff like that so she but she, she apparently instinctually know knew how to how to how to bring and, and I, I still i mean i i I think I saw that guy like about eight or nine years ago, still around. No and, shit. Yeah, I like. But, uh, I thought you were gonna go with the tagline of "How to Resuscitate a Junkie," which sounds like something that would be a New York Times bestseller. In this well, day I was age. probably yeah. I mean, but I, I mean, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be the first or last time that I saw that. I right. Mean, I had to to be involved with with a, a, a procedure in my kitchen because somebody right. you know because I would later become a heroin addict and I had people. ODing in my in my actual living space, but anyway, that was the you know environment. It was uh, people polishing their guns in the back alley, broken glass everywhere. The whole the whole it was that environment. It was pimps, you know, with big pimp mobiles parked outside. Um, local, you'd see like you know local girls becoming hookers and hanging out with these pimps, and a lot of junkies, a lot of. A lot of Vietnam vets coming back strung out. It was, it was, uh, you know, it was just like a, a black exploitation movie or something from, from the 70s. <laughs> there was a lot of cliches that you actually saw in the street. You know? Right. Yeah. But I mean, it was, it was a, a fairly, it was mixed as far as Latinos and blacks and poor whites. But it was definitely hardcore. There was nothing sugar-coated about that neighborhood it was very very you know i mean i i, I one time this new york was the kind of place where you'd be walking down times square 
Oh yeah, I just the the uh, the Deuce. The Deuce is an actual nickname for for Times Square. It's right. called the Deuce because of forty second. So it just they yeah, yeah. second is a Deuce. Yeah, yeah. So you just cut it. To, you know, forget about the forty part. Just leave it a Deuce. Anyway, but one time I remember walking down and seeing a a, a drag queen with like a five o'clock shadow, take a bottle, crack the bottle on the, on the side of the curb and stab. I guess it was her boyfriend or her pimp in the stomach, like just took a a, a jagged bottle and shoved it in his stomach. In Times Square, no less. Dude, I'm coming back from like Port Authority, and I and I had to walk like in a in a you know I had to circumvent the, the scenario just in case the the uh, the you know the, she wanted to cut anybody else or whatever. Right. So I just, yeah, I was pretty insane. But that's the kind of stuff you just see in passing. So the, I mean, this kind of leads on to where I want to go in regards to the basis of inspiration that led you to to create what I now know you for. Do you think that those times coming up were the initiation of that, the inspiration behind what Samo became? Specifically, not. I mean, I I grew up in a, you know, I mean, like I, 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 I failed to, to tell the story. When I was five in my building, I, I ear, ear witnessed a, uh, a, a murder. A wife had, had, had killed her husband. I, I knew the kids. The kids. There was like two two young two young uh, boys that were friends of mine from from the floor, from the sixth floor. You know, kids would congregate. But I I, I remember the I mean detectives and and policemen coming up to the floor. I, first, I told my mom that I had heard that, and she was like, "Ah, it was just the television." And then, like forty five minutes later, it was you know police everywhere. Right. But it was all these experiences that would shape me into. I mean, into who I am, of course, because that's just that's how we are shaped and and, and our form a worldview. But uh, it was there was a lot. I mean, there was a lot of contributing things. I grew up in the seventies. There was you know a sexual revolution. There was a, a cultural revolution. There was uh, we were kind of I guess a little disappointed by the sixties because it seemed like. You know, there was some traction made in terms of, of advancing uh, cultu- culturally and then some backsliding. So, right. uh, so we were jaded, and, and I think that's it all contributed. There was nothing real, really, you know, s- like specific. I think it was just the t- being where I, w- you know, where I came from and the time that I came from there. Right. That would form my, my kind of... I don't know. I guess there's a, a certain cynicism that's that you know that one develops it, it, when you grow up in an environment. You, you will. I mean, because you you know it's like it's like bullshit until proven to be true. You know, because there's so much <laughs> bullshit. Around. I mean, I feel like I I share a lot of the same sentiments in that respect, which is why I think I'm attracted to your work to the degree that I am. Uh, Namely, just like I mentioned before, it's this idea of, of social satire, which for me is is something that I've really used as a means of surviving through through the uh, insurmountable amounts of bullshit that that happen on a day to day basis. For 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 me, my means of therapy is is the macabre. It's it's being misanthropic, but in a somewhat satirical way. That's 
that's how I survive. It's, it's looking at how absurd everything is and thinking like, well, shit, you know, I can either kill myself or I can ride this out and make it funny. <laughs> you know, like those are, those are the options that I look at. And, and then getting to, to read a lot of the things that you do, which for me is, it, it's so simplified, but in fact, there's so much depth to it. That really changed a lot of perspective. And, uh, and now that I've got to, to know you and converse with you, it, it's changed everything as well, because, you know, there are, I see a lot of people writing witty statements or whatever it might be, but knowing you and understanding the character that it's coming from has such sincerity in it. <laughs> beyond, beyond someone being like, let's put a team together and figure out how we can, you know, appeal to the millennial era, whatever it might be. You know what I'm saying? It's, right, it's a bit forced and a bit contrived. Yeah, this feels real. It always felt it, real. It was, yeah, and it's, and it's what... Yeah, I mean, I'd be jumping ahead of the game, but I think it was my my entire upbringing because I because I, I grew up being like you know a bit of a class clown, and, I, and me and my my close cousin Gil would we just like to goof on things and goof on people, so that all those were contributing, you know. Right. And and then when when you mix a little cynicism with 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 humor, it's it's kind of a it's it's a, a way to relieve that, you know. Because it's because it's like you dealing with with like you like you you know described before you know I can kill myself or I could I could <laughs> try to get through this at least make so, a joke out of it right you know? make right, a joke right, out of it right so that's what it, it's a similar similar process where you right. just you know even though the stuff sucks let's try to you know let's try to find some sense some kind of humor in it because sure. because it's so absurd sure so and that's. And I guess we 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 when I say we I'm 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 referring to to Basquiat. Is when we when we formed the Samo thing, it was, you know, our our way of uh, of relieving our frustration with with consumerism, uh, uh, just mediocrity in general. You know. So wait, let's. Like I, I, let's go back there because I, f I think that's an important factor of the meeting of of you and Jean. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, so f again, for those that that don't know, I think a lot of people understand that Samo has an immediate attachment to to Basquiat. That's what I think most people understand it from. But there obviously is a history to this, and in, oh, in, there is. In, there's in, a lot, and it's a complex history. Right. It's a complex history. Um, it starts with, and I, I'd have to introduce the fact that. I was a graffiti artist at a young age, and and the reason I, I became a graffiti artist was because I was attracted to the to it, it, there was this it was a burgeoning subculture that was very kind of secretive, and there were very few people doing it, especially where I was from, I, in the Lower East Side. It was it didn't see any of it really, and and I was uh, introduced to it up in Washington Heights. Where my cousin uh, introduced me to to some of the writers, and I and I I, I saw all this this these names on uh, or what I assumed to be names with numbers attached to them on the walls everywhere, and would f uh, later find out that they were also on the subways, so it it was very attractive. I, I thought the the guys who were doing it at when and first of all I was 12 years old, and I was very attracted to the idea of 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 being a member of this kind of secret order and the the, the participants had a, a certain edge and style to them and at that age you know looking for an identity 
I wasn't particularly interested in in being a, a like an athlete or anything, but this was cool, you know. There was there was a a delinquent yet a creative edge to it, and that was very attractive. Anyway, so I I I did that from the age of twelve, well into the age of sixteen, seventeen, and by the time I met Basquiat, I I had uh, I had been asked to leave. Uh, the vocational high school that I went to here in in, in Midtown, uh, High School of Art and Design, and ended up at an alternative high school, which is City as a School. And so Jean had a similar um, a high school experience. He 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 had switched various high schools and ended up at City as a School, although he was never a a, a rank and file member of the graffiti community. He he didn't he, he it wasn't something that he was part of. Uh, but when we we met and we shared a lot of similar ideas, you know, we became friends and uh, worked on a school newspaper together. And Jean was a very good writer. He's a brilliant writer. And uh, he came up with... First of all, we, we started using this word, Samo. And it was... And it, yes, it was originally derived from, from the expression, same old, same old, which can be same old shit or same old thing, whatever you... Whichever way you want to use it but but it the graffiti itself is not uh, some people think oh it means same old shit it doesn't mean anything it's a it's a you know anyway we'll get to that part so jean for this school n newspaper we, we used to we would do themes and one theme we did was like the occult and 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 religion and spiritual st stuff that we were writing about that was that the if you were contributing you'd write something on that theme and he wrote this really great story about a fake religion, a place that sold fake uh, religions, and it was called a religion mat or something like no that. Shit. I have a place. Uh, we uh, hold that thought, but a friend of mine, Ben, who's also a large fan of what you do, we created this uh, neo version of that called the psychic swap meet. Okay, which is <laughs> <laughs> which <laughs> like, yeah. it needs no explanation. Yeah. It's exactly yeah. that. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, I wish I had a copy of it with me. I'd read it to you. Right. But it was really funny. I mean, he was very, very articulate, very, really excellent vocabulary. And it's just, it sounded wonderful the way he wrote it. But it was the idea of this fake religion and like luring people with this, you know, th this cult, like same old. Right. That was what, so it didn't mean same old shit. I mean, it had nothing to do with same old shit. It was just, it could have been bozo. It could have been sure. wacko. It could have been anything. It's just that the word was used to give that a name. And, and that word was available because we had been saying it a lot. So he just used it. And that's all. It, it's, but it doesn't have any connotation to same old shit. Right. It's just a word. Anyway, so we saw we saw the possibility of me being a graffiti artist. I saw I say, look, you know what? There's this, these people that that there was like a guy or no, an old lady that was writing uh, Jesus saves and and pray, and she was all over the place. And it was these like religious, you know, like just these little notes like Jesus saves and pray. So it's just like suggestions, right? 
and we were like well well this we could do something similar with this same old thing and make it seem like a cult you know and get people like aroused about this thing right and i, I guess we didn't really realize it at the time but we were kind of like experimenting with hype and with advertising the, the whole science of advertising and we, i mean we weren't quite aware of it we were sort of aware of it let's like let's play with this and let's fool people and that's how it got started and then me like i said i, I was like well we're gonna do we're gonna make a graffiti campaign out of it and spread it around something that i was quite you know like it was natural for me to write things on the wall sure at this point anyway and I, I adapted the uh, the style of Flint dot 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 uh, uh, ellipsis. He would write an ellipsis after his his uh, his his name, and sometimes add a, a quote. Like he would quote from like movies and stuff like that, or, or like a you know like a Jimi Hendrix record. And, but we were doing different quotes. We were like. Samo as an alternative to God, or Samo is coming, all these quasi-religious, you know, connotations. So to kind of like, you know, bring attention to this Samo, and then we put a copyright on it to make it seem like a product. And so there was never, a, it was never a a, a a tag per se. It wasn't a person. It wasn't a, there was not a face atta attached to Samo. It was this morphing product that would whatever we you know it, okay it's it, same as an alternative to mass-produced individuality same as whatever it could be right. anything we would just but it was this vehicle that we use it's this product that didn't exist that was constantly you know morphing right. and changing like an acme yeah like, acme yeah, yeah. Exactly. like acme. <laughs> right but that's really that was the the essence of it and we j and it just got more and more elaborate every time we had some opinion on something, you know, and uh, um, that's that's what it was. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't. It didn't didn't mean same old shit. Like right. every, like most people, and it's funny because they think they have this insight. Like same old, which means same old shit. <laughs> I'm like so, you're you're wrong. It's just not right, you know. You know, this, this is the exact reason that I wanted to start doing this series is is solely for the purpose of being able to hear stories from directly from the source. And the I have a guest coming up who I'm really excited about, and he's the reason why I wanted to start this. Um, and I spent an evening in a studio with him, a very, very well-known musician. I mean, he's written like hit after hit after hit after hit throughout the last 40 years wow and this motherfucker has stories like you wouldn't believe he's I got like he's, he's got like rick james stories prince stories oh, michael yeah. stories from michael as a kid to michael before wow. he died he's got baby tupac stories and and he just was riffing whilst we were sitting and i just thought i need i need to document these situations yeah. and one of the things especially with art that's always frustrated me when you go to a gallery and the artist is perhaps no longer alive. And some curator has written a plaque on the wall describing intimately what the artist was trying to say without the artist being there to verify has always fucked me off because it's not necessarily how I perceive the piece to be. And I think that's a problem in galleries is that you're, you're almost forced into this perspective of this is what this art is trying to say and therefore this is how you should, you should view or consume it. And in this instance, this is the ability to be able to eradicate that so it's like, should you leave us 
anytime soon, which I sincerely hope you don't, then at least that there's a record of you being able to say this is <laughs> well, this is yeah. what it means. You know, it's, <laughs> so it's I can uh, reference there's, that. Th- yeah, there's there's many many uh, examples of 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 history being being misgarbled, sure. like while I mean, like yeah, take for instance the. Um, this is the painting that, that Jean-Michel had dropped off at my, which actually I spoke of in Tamara Davis's, uh, Tamara Johnson, is it, Ch- yeah, no, Davis, right? Right. Tamara Davis, uh, her, her film, um, uh, Radiant Child. I spoke about, and back then, during that film, I was straight up, you still using heroin, so I, I was, like, my mind wasn't really all there. So I, I described the incident as, as the painting as being same from Samo to Samo, it didn't say that. It said from Walla to Walla. That was a, that once again. It's this is inside stuff. This these are this is like a, a part of our secret language. We used to call each other Walla, and he would he and we would call like everyone anyone that was like not had no like inspiration in their life was a melon, a melon head. So. Yeah, that's as simple as that. You you might you can see that Jean Michel used that word throughout a lot of his writing right. uh, or his paintings. Rather, melon. He'll he'll write melon. Anyway, in this painting, it says from Walla to Walla, right? And then it says Pepsi versus melon. So it's just this. Just is like like you know like coked up kind of weird. Uh, writing that is and but it was made for me he's you right. know this isn't totally made for me and he get, he dropped it off at, at my place and then I, I later sold it and it wasn't for drugs it was for recording equipment that i, I you know i was playing music at the time and uh which and that's like I've, I've i've often said that's one of the things i regret doing in my life because it, and it wasn't because of the money. Because believe me, I'd still have it if I if I sure. if I still had it, I'd still have it. It was because he made it for me, and I I didn't appreciate it. And I thought that was kind of a, a that was a, a very callous thing on my part. Right. But anyway, besides that, so the 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 garbled info is that Dieter Buchard, who has, I guess, if you. If you put yourself in a position of becoming the expert enough times, you actually become the expert to the rest of the planet, and that's what that's part of that 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 problem of of these these histories being mistold. And he tells the story of how that painting was made on a trip from Washington to L.A. Walla, that's his explanation wow. of Walla, which is, I'm first of all, I'm still alive. <laughs> so you could actually just, just ask just me what you, that yeah. fucking means, but this is, and then and then I see this in a book, and then the average person reads this, and they're gonna tell their children, and their children are gonna tell their fucking children, and then you start like realizing what, what once again like bullshit, but the like the dissemination of bullshit like live while you're watching it, and right. you're like, no, that's not true, and it's and it just keeps going. And you're like, wow, these motherfuckers are just taking a guess sure. on your stuff, and they're just like running with it. But that's what I mean, and I see it often because I like to nerd out like hard on things that I love. So I dig and dig and dig and dig as much as I can. And I just think if you're in a position where you've been allowed to be the 
the expert spokesperson on this subject. How the fuck did you not know this, this, and this? Because like, because you, because first of all, because expert is 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 a, a very, very ambiguous, uh, yeah, ambiguous <laughs> term. Yeah. If you're like, if you look, if you if there's three people in the room and and none of you are, are poker players, but right. one of you played cards once, that guy's <laughs> the expert. He becomes the expert, right? Yep. Okay, so in this case, that's something similar has happened. And it's, you start like, but it, 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 it messes you up, but like in terms of like your, like your faith in history, you're right. like, yo, what really happened at Waterloo? Sure. You know, this kind of stuff, like what this, did Julius Caesar really, yeah. Cause, because you realize that while you're still alive, you're something that, that you were part of is being completely garbled by some so-called expert right. because he's got a PhD or whatever cool. and that's enough license to like oh, well, you know to, <laughs> to expound on something that you really have no clue about I, why, why have we not seen a same oath for the self-professed expert yet? I think I have done oh yeah there's plenty of those there's a few yeah. of those there's a few yeah for the for the self self uh, I forgot I mean it's out there believe me do you know what my favorite samo that I don't think exists but we spoke about it actually when we were we were last hanging out was uh discriminatory against illiterates which I still don't think you've oh, made oh yeah. yeah no I did I did something I said for the uh, uh, for the for the literate uh, Something, something to that effect. I just remember something you saying it out loud. Effect. You said it out loud, and I wrote it down in my phone because I thought it was the funniest thing I heard, and it was. But it was. It, I mean, do you know you why? If you can't read, it, it there's, doesn't but mean anything. Do you remember where that came from? It was because you were making, you were doing a cutout piece, and you were making a collage, and someone came in and they're like, "I can't read it," and you were like, "That's the purpose." <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> so he, he was. I can't remember what he was like. I can't read it. It doesn't make any sense. And you were like, "Samo is discriminatory." against illiterate yes <laughs> but it is i mean just by nature sure it's, it's, you know it's it's if you're not if you can't read or if you can't comprehend it well there you go it's just not for you you know i love that though but that's and that's only one example it's there's many that's one big example because that's very irresponsible history telling extremely extremely irresponsible because now you've misled which you, and i mean there should be some shame involved with that if you're telling like if you are a a, a self-respecting so a phd a so-called expert and you may and you make an, a mistake like that or you make an assumption and just and spread it around you should be ashamed of yourself because that's 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 that must be against all acad uh, academic code you know if there is such a thing it's just like that's not the way uh, a story should be told a, a history not a, a, a story it's like a game of telephone right you know which is that's <laughs> that is not what we're trying to do here so for the sake of that can you define what those two words actually mean or were they literally just things that you created it was walla just was was just like a, an endearing term for uh for for someone who was like like enlightened so walla was one thing it wasn't Yo, like walla, yeah, we used yeah, to call uh, each other walla right, like right, right. a few of us right we, you know like within our circle of, walla what's up you sure know? so it's like homie or essay or whatever yeah, it but might it, be. Sure, yeah but, but it was like our language our little language you know within a a, a community of like a few people like 12 people maybe you know? i i know that well and going back to ben who i mentioned before he and i have a term for 
the modern individual who likes to lurk and not say anything and we refer to them as beads which beads. is short okay, for, for like go. the beady eyed individual right, that watch right. so but, but you can call someone a beads like that guy is such a beads this sort of person that lurks on your social media never says anything doesn't even say anything when they see you in public but they somehow know everything about you <laughs> that's a beads <laughs> a beads so they, that's precisely what see that's a very human thing to do it's sure. to have this kind of you know, uh, insular kind of community that's it's not insular, but but that you have certain things that are just within that community, like that nobody else gets, right. you know, and, and you keep it there. It's not like you're trying to, like, make that the hip thing to say. Absolutely it's not. It's just like this is our thing, you know. I mean, for me, it's my therapy, like being able to, to have a, a secondary layer of language that I can relay to another individual he's one of those people and i feel like this maybe was the case with with you and sean is that you could just say a word that was completely nonsensical but due to the context you'd said it in they immediately understood yes so it's, it's yes, like yes. you can just riff with a language that right. you're just making up on the spot but because of the connectivity you and the you and the other person has and he and i are definitely that way inclined so we can just converse and just throw in a word just completely spontaneously and instantly it's like that becomes jean jean had was a funny i mean he had a funny brain like he he, he did do like like um sound bite things throughout his entire painting career you know like you would see just isolated words random people say random but there's they're not random they're just isolated right you know he would sometimes speak i mean he was shy to speak spanish even though he understood more, like just pretty much fluently he understood but he was shy because i think maybe he he uh he, he had a, an accent or maybe when he when he was in puerto rico for two years or something he was in school and maybe they made him feel bad about his his uh spanish right. but he he definitely had a, a he was complex about it right so he would only speak in like single words or a, a phrase but he would never he would never like rattle off in, in you know in, like me back me and him back and forth in spanish it was usually just these 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 little sound bites and and he did that in in his in his painting where you see you know his storytelling but um so i think that was the way it, a, a big part of his his uh his self-expression and i could relate to it i i you know i had i had a, a I, I was i had somehow i was sensitive to that i could see that um so, but I'm not, I mean, for me, it's, for, you know, the way I express myself is I, I need to, to tell stories and to tell, you know, the full, I, I need to use many words. Sure. You know? Yeah, I'm, I, I'm much the same. And again, going back to why I started, this was solely that for, for me, again, this is, <clears throat> this is therapeutic because I, I grew up understanding that the one real quality I had was the ability to entice other people to tell stories. And I started to understand that if I could document that even better. So I started shooting photographs and I would tell short stories alongside them that accompanied what that situation was. And then when video cameras became cheaper, I started making little films about it, which led to me making documentaries and now it's at a point where I feel confident enough socially to be able to have these conversations on record. And ultimately, because there's no one that's really going to allow me to be able to, to do this, 
unscripted, unsupervised, and raw, there's always going to be some vested interest which will say, oh, well, you know, you can't talk right, about right, this. Right, right, of course. And, and I wanted this to be as raw as it possibly could be and have these people being able to, to riff and, and say what you just said in regards to being able to rewrite the reality of history because that's imperative. To me, as a, as a deep nerd, it's imperative that the facts are there. Yeah, it's, I think it's, I think it's only... It's, it's only it's it's a ser in service of 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 uh of man to mankind to 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 get the facts straight to tell s stories responsibly so that people have a, a deeper understanding and not this superficial understanding which is one of my pet peeves which is something that i i probably riff on in in a lot of my my sign making that i do now that i you know post samo the, the 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 subway letter stuff that i do which is, is the, the, and I just actually made this sign a week ago, the, the, ten, the education based on 10 second soundbite, so that you have a very superficial understanding of many things, but no real deep understanding of, of something. Right. Which is, you know, which is frightening really, because it's, you know, it's like, I mean, you think of, of traditions like, like, say, a Japanese carpenter who, who would have to study for, like, you know, he had to carry the guy's tools, make his own chisels, so that he had this kind of, like, deep, deep understanding of the whole process before he, you know, goes on to, to making his own furniture or his own house. So it's a complete, like a 360-degree like a experience, you know, as opposed to this kind of like, okay, now I'm an expert, you know, sure. next, what's next? Sure. And, that, and first of all, the, the, what it, it also, it, 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 um, it respects craft, it respects tradition. There's a lot, there's a lot of, of, of things that, that are um, beneficial about being thorough, you know, about understanding things and, and, and knowing more about uh, about something than just you know some superficial i mean conversation or just it's just endless the, you know the benefits of, of of that kind of uh understanding a deep understanding yeah depth is always the word and i think a term that i seem to find myself using more often than not is is vacuous or vapid vacuous vapid i, I like those yeah. words those are excellent words vapid and, yeah and it sucks that i don't have a v in my alphabet with right the train v uh there used to be a v train but it's because it's just it's those yeah those are really and those are very relevant words in in to, in today's to the zeitgeist yeah yeah to the zeitgeist because there's a lot of that and like what you mentioned earlier about um, artists using or people because art I mean art you're either born an artist or, or you're not right? As, right as far as I'm concerned sure okay I, I have a, no, I a certain like like discriminatory prejudices like that like anyway but you, you're just like okay i think i'll do some art and so i can become famous right and it's yeah motivated by that as opposed to something from you know dave navarro sent me this thing recently that was very cool it was a, a like a, a a ted talk um i forget the guy's last name is cynic which is funny because i knew a cynic. me and, and jean-michel knew a, a, a richard cynic anyway but he's talking about how it, what's important is is when a person is creating anything, whoever's doing it, is why they do it. It's why, why you're driven, not not what the outcome is. Of course, you know it's what what motivates you, and that's what's gonna that's what's gonna transcend. That's what that's what that's what's gonna attract people to you is the fact that it's you know it's 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 a uh, passion that's driven you know driving 
there's a, a passion to, to, to what's being created. It's not just being created to fill a void or to, to make money or to become famous or those, uh, you know, external kind of. Yeah, I, I always see it as an extension of self, a, a, a characteristic extension of self. But you can always see that the sincerity in work. I think after, after say say someone blows up and they they become that that hype artist. The, the moment that that dust settles, you can really start to understand the sincerity as to whether it was bullshit or whether it was legitimate and living in the age that we do now and this goes back to that conversation we had when we were in LA just driving around um, what what has always frustrated me as a younger artist coming up now in a digital age where everything essentially is is uh, judged by numbers more than the quality of the work is that I come up against this so often I'll I'll pitch on a job or I'll get overlooked for a job based on the fact that I have 3,500 followers on Instagram as opposed to <laughs> 3,500, uh, sorry, th uh, uh, 35,000 35, or 350 million or whatever right, it might right, be, right. you know, however many it might be. The reality is that everybody I seem to see, and this isn't to discredit certain people who are, are very founded, but I see a lot of modern uh artists which isn't to call them modern artists but artists in the modern time who have extremely high follow accounts and yet the work from for me personally which is the beauty of art being that it's subjective is it's just not there there's nothing there yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and, and yeah. then i just think you know this person is getting employed over me to create something that i then usually end up having to bring up the rear because they're like yo this person fucked this up can you fix it for us we've only got two grand <laughs> that's happened to me so many times and i'm like you, fuck you because you've known that i was here the whole time and you knew that i wanted to do that job and you had deliberately chose this guy because for the sake of marketing you could utilize their right. platform but it was a car crash. And then they're like, here are the scraps. Can you pull something together? This is how much money we have. Right, Thanks. right, right. And, and when I was hungry, I would take those jobs because I needed to pay rent. And I was, I was living ass out. You know, I was touring. Um, this is before I got into a position where I would refer to myself as a professional, you know, where I'm just a kid, I'm early 20s, just hungry to do anything. So I'm playing drums, I'm touring all over the world, playing these wild like basement shows in hardcore bands, but at the same time thinking, I need there to be some longevity in the career that I'm doing, right? So what, what can I do? I'm gonna start moving into film and photo. And I started doing shoots here and there, and because I was around all these amazing people, you know, I, I, like, I shot an array of really, uh, to me, inspiring individuals just because we were playing the same festival or playing the same show. And so I had this huge portfolio and I would send it to people and they were like, yeah, like that's great, but we're, we're gonna use this guy because he's cooler than you. Right, right. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, fuck it, whatever. I'm still playing drums, that's fine, right? Then, you know, a month later, this email will come in and it's like, hey, did you? Uh, I'm still interested. <laughs> well, yeah, can you come and do this for like 50 pounds instead of the whatever it was originally? because uh, this is unusable. And it's become this point now where I'm, I'm so disenfranchised by the, 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 the social media artist. And I used to really think like, fuck man, why did my photo only get 20, 30 likes? And, and now I'm, I, I'm so beyond that based on the fact that I look at someone like you who also is like, you don't have a million followers, you have no, a no, very no. small follower account, but like the legitimacy of who you are as an artist is absolutely not defined by the fact that you have 
3,000 followers 5, 000, or yeah. however you know what it is it's like it's it's the fact that you can sit here and you have stories that a lot of these motherfuckers a will never have full stop because these experiences aren't happening because they're living because they, like, it's a different time it's a different time but also when you meet these people the majority of the actions that they're taking are for the sake of content and creating content a, create a yeah word. yeah create, and uh <laughs> yeah sure uh, with inverted commas that's the most important part you right, right, have right. to put it in inverted commas but i see a lot of these people and 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 there's a term which you may have heard which is like doing it for the gram right like, yeah 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 of I'm, do, I'm, I'm doing this for the gram right for the so, gram and and <laughs> and then it's like I, a whole planet or like doing it for the culture which is a thing i hear so i hear often like people doing things for the culture uh, which is going way out of your depth <laughs> for the sake of seeming relevant to a to a sort of a vacuous room of people that don't actually give a fuck about you that that's what this is and then i, I meet an individual like you who's so far removed from that reality yet you're still dabbling in it being that you're you know that it's still well, just to like, promote it sure from a promotional because, perspective yeah because it like, is a good tool for that but it is not a reality it's not a reality and it's like only ogs understand that and and for me it's really refreshing to have those conversations like you also know <laughs> uh john joseph right or you yeah, know yeah, of john yeah, joseph yeah, yeah, like, yeah. you know him as john blood clot oh, yeah. and like he's the same you know he's got a big following but the reality is he just uses his platform as a means of just being like don't be a fucking asshole right, and and right. and this is what's actually happening like i've been there i've really been there i've seen it i i know everybody that you would want to know and i can tell you right now it's it's bullshit and here's why it's bullshit and that dude he's the funniest dude is he got, here recently he, i haven't seen he, him in a few years he's he's in town he li he lives down in the les like, yeah he was living like, on 10th street I think. yeah somewhere around there yeah, yeah. he I'm gonna get him on this this he show. He's doing Iron Man stuff. He's like he, he's, yeah. I mean, he is a beast. It's yeah, he's a, a beast. It's unbelievable. He yeah, started he's like a little younger than maybe two years younger than me, or maybe my age. I forgot. Yeah, I think he's 55. Oh no, he's but, a few young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be 60 this year. But, but he was he was doing Iron Man stuff, which was pretty cool. Yeah, now he's doing like three or four a year yeah he's he's a beast definitely. yeah but i think for him like that was a major means of therapy post having gone through the yeah of course the, it was of course yeah, that, that goes without like, saying yeah. that goes without saying for a lot of a lot of us ex you know self-abusers who get into some sort of physical thing you he, know he talks a lot about um a time where like a drug that definitely doesn't exist anymore called like angel dust right oh it's P a, P P that's, so it's, yeah, that's pcp pcp right? And he used to sell hit. it. He yeah, yeah. sold it down in the parks there and, yeah, yeah. and, and, and like got shot and stabbed. And, yeah. and it's amazing to meet individuals like this because these people don't exist anymore. As far as like, that's not happening like that anymore. It's just like that time doesn't exist anymore. And I don't know if it ever will unless we become full barbarians based on our Western political landscape at this point. But point being, you and him, I think, even if you didn't know one another, I run relative parallels, I think. Just oh, yeah, but we like do actually yeah. know each other. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and that to me is, again, going back to this New York that I love, is seeing how it came about. And actually, you, you're wearing a Beastie Boys shirt right now. And my father introduced me to the Beastie Boys when um, License to Ill came out. Yeah. I was, a, I was young, like two or three, maybe. And he gave me a tape with... License to ill on one side and never mind the bollocks on the other side. Oh, wow, what a great yeah. combination! <laughs> but he also used to hang like bacon, not like as in the artist, not actual bacon, in my cot as a child. 
to give you right. a perspective oh, on like the type of excellent. human he was. It still is a wonderful, a wonderful man. But um, from there, it's like I had this fascination with New York. I loved the Beastie Boys. I wanted to know about it, and I got into punk and hardcore, and and then you know when the internet came about i could learn more about the fact that they were originally a hardcore band and yeah, they, they were. saw this like sweep of hip-hop come through the city and kind of made a joke band which ended up being <laughs> one of the biggest hip-hop bands if not the biggest hip-hop band of all time um, yeah one of the big the, the uh, certainly the biggest crossover hip-hop right band. right um I, rem- I remember the beasties when they were still a punk band right yeah, um I remember doing a gig because I, I was very involved in New York uh, alternative music uh, music scene, and uh, I remember we were, there was a night at the kitchen, a, a performance space called the Kitchen. It was down on Broom Street, and uh, I had a percussion ensemble, and we're waiting to go on, waiting to go on, waiting to go on. Finally, the last so so we got bumped, we got bumped from our position, so we had to come back the next day. But it was. The Beastie Boys, they got, <laughs> they got the slot. And they were like these kids, man. Right. It was insane. They were like little kids. Later on, uh, I mean, we, so we've crossed paths, you know. Right. And, um, I mean, I've been friends with Eric Hayes, who, who I believe did some of the, some of the artwork for, for uh, License to Ill, some yeah. of the lettering or something. Like that. Such an iconic album cover yeah. as well. It's- and so we, we, I mean, it's... There's, and, there's always been overlap, you know. I mean, even though we, I, I'm not friends with, with the Beastie Boys per se, right. but I, we, we have friends in common. You know? Yeah, I, that's what, again, I think interests me about this city because now in the art scene or, you know, the what we have now as far as like the creative scene, I feel like most people know one another, whether that's just through mutually knowing one another digitally or actually knowing. I know when I come to this city, most of the people that are doing things now tend to know one another but it seems like in new york at that time it wasn't the case so much well it's it's definitely definitely digital age stuff it's the six degrees of separation have become closer because sure. of of social media etc cetera, etc cetera. right and it's it, but uh, oddly enough there was always still some over like a, a big overlap in within a small community because uh, new york had a you know it was a small community the arts and, and music people generally it's you knew someone who knew someone that you knew right you know this it's because if you were if you were within uh, like the cent- the cent- central uh it, 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 we're talking about concentric circles if you're in one of those circles somehow it's going to touch the other ones you know it's, how it's, prevalent was the Chelsea Hotel during its peak? The, the for- Chelsea was was you know was was run down but affordable rock and roll with you know history like like crazy Dylan Thomas right the New York Dolls all kinds of people were living on I think uh, Willie Deville was up there for a while so so many so many people were in there it's a rock and roll lifestyle kind of but these, junkies and these know. are institutions to me that could never exist in this day and age no they and couldn't they, they just couldn't, never they couldn't even could. f- uh, exist uh, f- feasibly financially right you know it's just it, it, i mean people were, were were renting rooms there for like years you know and there's no real hotel like that in new york anymore no but i think a lot of people are trying which is hilarious to me that it's so blatant what's what's <laughs> trying to be done and uh and it's always the clientele that just sucks so bad man and i I get invited to these places so often i walk in and i'm there for five minutes i'm like oh my god yeah i always feel like have you ever seen that simpsons episode where um 
Bart gets a job at the Maison Derriere, which is like the the strip club in Springfield. <laughs> he gets a job as one of the like the bellboy there, and his grandfather walks in, and he walks in, and the, the the animation is him coming in, seeing Bart doing putting his hat on the wall, doing a circle, picking it back up, and walking back out of the door. <laughs> like that, that's me. In any instance where I walk in somewhere, I was like immediately understand the vibe. I'm gonna I'm gonna bounce and I feel actually the Simpsons for me has always been a cultural reference point for so many absurdities that I I'm just like this is this instance it's like Homer Simpson backing into the bush is one of my favorite moments is I use it often in in gif format actually when I send it to people on text I'm like that's the best way to remove yourself from an awkward situation just is literally backwards. just like put like backwards like into backwards. a hedge yeah. and disappear Dis- <laughs> <laughs> oh i've i've done i've done that quite often throughout my life like like oh this place sucks you right know? i mean it's just like this ain't this ain't it you know We're this ain't leave. it um but yeah there's there's new york that that new york can can no longer exist and never will again i think also i chris who who's very kindly uh, allow me to do this in his apartment he lived through a lot of that as well he's slightly younger than you he's in his mid 40s but he, you know so he would have been a, a young teen with this coming up and some of the stories that he's told me are just astounding and again just just I mean never gonna happen again not even close to happening again I just think it's it's so beyond to me the 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 reality of the situation is, is beyond uh, the ability to conceive at this point. I don't think. I don't I, know. There would have to be some sort of like, like, like a major calamity or something that that shut the city down in in order for it to 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 be like a place that was that inspired again. Something radical would have to happen, and usually something negative. You know, something that that was like. You know, like a, a major explosion. Or sure. Something. Yeah, I'm, and I'm not. I'm. I mean, I don't want to sound like a like you know gloom and doom but no, i'll do that it's it all would, right i'm fine it would it would be it would have to be something that that really you know yeah like some dystopic type shit that would that turn because it, it's become this this you know this like sanitized city so but i feel i think there are a lot of places that are trying to emulate what this city has created over the last 40 years 50 years and and it doesn't have the same depth or soul that it did so Berlin, for example, I lived in Berlin. Uh, it's it's really to me, it's the the European city of hedonism. But actually, most people go there because they're like, oh, you know, I'm I'm an artist. I'm doing whatever. No one actually does anything there because ah. it's so cheap to live there that most people end up just banging cheap drugs and burning out after six months, and then they fuck off back to London or whatever and try and get their life together but no, but like but nothing actually nothing good nothing comes from good. it i mean actually someone will probably tear me down and be like there there's the fucking greatest techno ever being made i don't care about techno so it doesn't bother me right. and like spending 48 hours in the berghain is not my idea of a good weekend but <laughs> i definitely used to play this game where i'd take um take the dog out and we would sit do you know about the berghain in berlin no so no this, i don't so i had this, my friend <clears throat> jennifer just was just there for a, right. like a few months um, she was the girl that, that made the postcards with Buster. oh yeah 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 jennifer Stone. amazing yeah so this this is what would be considered an institution of of berlin techno and it's this old uh power station in the center of of the city well like right by the east side gallery just up from a the power, river. an actual power station yeah it's like it was a big power station that powered that part of the city and they called it the berghain 
because it's at the top of Kreuzberg and the bottom of Friedrichshain. So it's the, the Berghain, right? right. This place is the ultimate den of iniquity. I right. mean, truly is they have, they have what they refer to as the dark room downstairs, which is where all manner of explicit right, right, activity right, right, happens. Right, right. Right? But you'll go there on a Sunday morning and there will be people lining up to go in there and they, they have a dress code, which is just like as obnoxiously gothic as possible. Right, right, right. Um, and there's a door policy that seems absurd to anybody. And this is what I used to do. I would sit outside and I would watch them guess who was going to be allowed in and who wasn't. <laughs> it was fascinating because there's seemingly no method to the, to the madness. And there would just be this walk of shame, like some dude has just been queuing for two fucking hours to get in, he gets to the door and the bouncer doesn't even say shit, just shakes his head. And they just have to walk back and get back in the line. And, uh, yeah, it's the walk of shame. <laughs> yeah, the walk of shame. Whilst there are people coming out who have been in there for 24 hours, like gurning their faces off, coming out and seeing daylight for the first time, looking like fucking vampires. It's the funniest thing to observe as a sober human. <laughs> and uh, I've played a couple of shows there as well, um, which is interesting because it's it's a very different perspective when you're playing. Right, as right, a right, right. But I've never been a punter there. <laughs> and I don't think I ever want to be, but the point being that there's a lot of people. A punter. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's a lot of people who would who would disagree with me, saying like Berlin is is hyper progressive, which which it is in a certain sense, like as far as neoliberalism is concerned. I think perhaps to its own detriment in certain instances. But beyond that, people move to these cities wanting to recreate what they romanticize about places like this and. <laughs> even what London was during its peak, you know, when there was the rise of punk and we had incredible artists and designers and musicians, it just doesn't exist. And I see it. You get these waves of indie bands that want to like bring back rock and roll and guitar music. It's like t times have changed yeah, in the yeah, sense yeah, that yeah. <clears throat> your record just a, sounds like B-sides to a Rolling Stones record. That's the, the, the thing <laughs> is, is always going to be that. It's like, there's always this nostalgia that's attached to a certain, to a certain, um, era or a certain uh, lifestyle during that era and what happens is i mean it's over it's it's you can't re recreate that it's just not does it so there's the romance attached to it and it's it becomes a product and it becomes this you know this kind of it's an image it's just you know i think people you know attach themselves to this like this like it's like that i i the the people lined lined up at the at the uh the club in right. berlin yeah you know this it's all a, a, a it's almost like a a school play or something you know what's even better about that <clears throat> i mean it was definitely a troll but it it did exist is that a festival i want to say it was in the uk created a mock facade of the Berghain and like you could line up just to just practice just to practice like if for, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, practice being rejected yeah 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 I mean, yeah. so <laughs> well, no so what what I, I what i what i was 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 uh getting at with the uh the, the thing about nostalgia is that for a lot of the people that actually lived during those times, it was just life. It wasn't like, oh, this is we're living through the coolest part of, sure. of the coolest time in history ever. It was just, you know, I mean, half of us were were strung out on something or another, or had, uh, you know, all kinds of, of of issues, and it was hard to make ends meet, and it was, 
it wasn't it's not you know it's not all as as groovy as it's made up to be you know it's of like, course there was you know just and it's something that it's like anything it's like i'm glad you know i, I it was it, it's in in retrospect it was you know uh, uh it was it was my life but i'm glad that i i don't want to redo that you know i don't want to it can't of course you know i don't want to go back there or be in that 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 time again it was you know i mean now is great it's because why is now great because i'm alive and i can continue to do other stuff see this amazes me about the fact that you are alive based on what you've told me as far as what you put your body through yeah i shot heroin for 19 years and i I was i've been you know i started drinking at a young age and it was just it was just endless you know just smoke so much weed and all just constantly getting you know getting like blotto stupid drunk and, right. and 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 then and then you know being in a in a in a basic a walking coma for 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 so long on on heroin and it's just a it's a bad life you know it's just, it's amazing to be alive and at this point it's but not only that is that you're <laughs> still relatively athletic in that respect yeah, yeah. i mean well, I, I see you doing absurd gymnastics well, because <laughs> that's that's my that's my version of john of 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 john joseph's you know iron man iron right man thing. well he's he, he you know it's like you need to you need to to generate uh endorphins and stuff of course and uh, dopamine and all that good shit that fucking makes you naturally excited and high. So you do- know, if you if you if you eat like ice cream, you you have to do it consciously. You're like, wow, I'm I'm getting excited in some form or another. Of course, I want, this tastes really delicious, and I want to keep eating it. Right, and it's because of the dopamine that you're you're. I mean, you're actually doing in a in a sense kind of getting high in a, in a oh in yeah a i mean there's, basic sense there's very know? much studies on the uh the parallels between cocaine and sugar yeah. essentially yeah. causing the exact same reaction in the brain as far exactly as, uh, as far as the two are concerned yeah, so, yeah. And you're you're uh you're you're um uh, what's it called your anyway the 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 receptors in your brain. yeah your dopamine receptors yeah. go into overdrive when you t- especially when you're having something that's like rich like ice cream right, or, right. or candy and the problem with things like that is that they don't really fill you up so you can just keep going right it's like you know you like when you eat popcorn you can just keep eating popcorn because it doesn't touch the sides and then somehow you just ate like 12 kilos of popcorn (laughs) somehow and i don't know where it went but (laughs) (laughs) i mean maybe not but you know everything here is like super size so i remember first going to the cinema here and it was just like absurd the amount the the size the small popcorn is what we would consider a large right you know everything here is so oversized and then the big gulp which to me was that that should be illegal but for some reason it isn't and i saw it and then i i remember going into a truck stop and there was a monster energy drink in what they refer to as the BFC, the big fucking can. And it's for truck drivers who are just doing like hauling ass across the country. And this thing is like a it's gallon. Like a, it looks of, like, like, a, like a, a oil can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and they just sold it with a straw and you would like plunk it in your the drinks BFC. holder. The BFC. <laughs> like these, how are these motherfuckers not having heart attacks immediately from drinking that stuff? I think stuff? that stuff thins your blood or somewhat, or, or thickens your blood. It's just really Probably disgusting. Both Probably same, both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just it disgusting. becomes your blood. 
But uh, what I've a, actually never tasted one of those. I don't, I, I don't know don't. what a Red Bull tastes like at all. I have no clue. But you know what it I, smells like. I don't. I don't. <laughs> it's it smells like vomit, and that's what it really? tastes like. Also, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I, I I can't mess with it. So wait, one thing I wanted to ask is like, I remember you telling me that you shot heroin for nineteen years. Like how 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 is that even possible? It's possible. It's totally. I shot that and cocaine. The thing is, it's possible. It's like you're not. It's not nineteen years straight. Sure. It's like you go through periods, low periods, where you're doing it more often than, than 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 other periods. You go through times when you're in rehab. You go through times when you're in detoxes. You go uh, there's there's slow periods. There's there's it's a roller coaster. Right. But it's 19 years of of, of struggling with like trying to get out of it. So wow. you you know you're doing it and then you slip back and you do the, do that for a while. Right. And then you end up in the hospital. So it's not like 19 years straight, just like every day banging, <laughs> yeah, right. you know, because that's, a, that's, you know, and then you have, first of all, you'd have to have the, the, the means of doing that. But I was a straight up street junkie. I was not one of, you know, I wasn't like a successful artist junk, you know, junkie that, which I don't think the two, it seems like a, like a, a an, an oxymoron to, right. to you know, um, but, uh, yeah, so I had to struggle. I I I, I kicked t- heroin twice on on Rikers Island. So I mean, so. <laughs> <laughs> but how long have you been sober now? Come, on, this is uh, over eight and a half years. Now. Wow, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm I grew up in the punk scene, so I grew up straight edge, and cool. that was always my mentality, um, which is a good thing. Yeah, and I, you know, the, the people around me were super inspiring in that respect. Um, and that was my peer pressure was more so adding morality to my life. I was a nutcase child, so I needed something like that to level me out. And the people who I admired were all of these people practicing veganism and practicing straight edge. And thankfully, there was music to accompany it. So the music really spoke to me because there were these dudes just fucking whiling out on record and that's what appealed to me. So I just, I, I was like, I want to learn to play drums to my mom. She was just like, no, they're not a real instrument. You can learn anything else. They're not a real drums. instrument. <clears throat> no, and, and, she, and she said, if you want to learn drums, you can pay for your own lessons and you can pay for your own equipment. So I was like, that's a challenge. I'll definitely do that. And I never took a lesson once. I listened to records and I tried to replicate what I was hearing. And it ultimately led to being my career for over a decade. And through that and through practicing being straight edge and connecting with other people uh it it allowed me the strength to to kind of make it through the period of my life that i otherwise would have definitely partaken in the ample amount of drugs that are offered to you when you're in the entertainment yeah absolutely that's a that's one way to to that's one venue where it's constantly you're surrounded by by people getting high i mean the 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 thing is is that for for me for someone like myself who 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 struggles with addiction you can't, I can't do both I can't be an artist and a, a, a drug addict at the same time of course because I mean I could be a, at it's just that I won't be a productive artist you know what I mean I mean it's like so I choose not to you know to indulge, same same as you not to indulge because this way I can get what I want to get done. And that's, you know, and the other thing is it took me, it was too much work to get out of that, that, you know, um, 
stuck kind of, frame, of course. state of mind. So, is there anything else that you want to talk on before we um, round off? I don't know. Uh, so once once go get, once again we get, go back to the same old graffiti. The book was inspired by the fact that there is so much misinformation or half information about about Samo and that it was always associated with um, solely with Basquiat although generally when someone says oh Basquiat Samo they 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 couldn't tell you what their favorite Samo writing was because they they just know that that's a word that you associate with Basquiat so I thought I, I was, it was important for me to enlighten the history of it and to, so that people could, could have a little more information on that. And, um, and it was, it's actually came together fairly quickly. But, I mean, considering that, it, you know, I, I, um, I want, yeah, it took about six months to put the book together. But um, it's, so I, it's, 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 it's a pretty, pretty good, a well, well uh, told story, I think. Um, what's interesting is um, Jean used Samo as a springboard for his career in the beginning. He was like, he, he was, he basically became, wanted to become Samo. He, you know, started calling himself Samo and stuff, although it was never intended to be a, a that kind of a tag, a, you know, a, um, a, a identity of a, a person. And uh, and then towards the end of his career, if you if you see a, a, a interview with with Stephen Hager or one, I think it was Stephen Hager, he's he's kind of he's rejecting it and, and saying that he uh, you know oh it's embarrassing it's like he, so on the one hand he used it to his his benefit in the beginning because it was something that he was that he could use, that people were were interested in and then towards the end you know after his whole Warhol thing. He he wants to have no association with it, which is, you know, something that most people don't know about. But it's it's out there. I mean, you know, just look online and and, and find interviews with Basquiat on the subject of Samo. But I so I thought it was it was important to to clarify that history. Did That's you, uh, what, what kind of terms were you on before he died? As, as I hadn't as. seen him. I hadn't seen him in years. I, I, so I wasn't. I wasn't really. I mean, the last time I'd seen him was when he dropped off those paintings, and we were. Yeah. You know, we left it at. He. I, I felt like he was trying to, to ask for some sort of forgiveness or something because he had been a bad friend, but not just to me. To to many of the people that knew him, from, you know, when he was young, when he was very young, mm-hmm. when he was a teenager. Um, so I, I mean, I had no hard feelings about, about, you know. But you told me that he, you always had the, the understanding that he knew he was going to become who well, he, he became. Well, he did. He knew that he was, he was, he may have, he may have lived his life in a way that steered it in that direction. Yeah. I mean, most, of, you know, most of us are, are somewhat responsible for the way we, you know, I mean, he, he could, he, it's not like he was taking good care of himself or trying to prolong his life so but i think uh i think he was definitely i mean he, he told me once he knew he was going to die young and he was pretty sure about that well maybe that's a good place to leave it and um i feel like i could talk to you for hours and hours about various different things but i think this is a good way to introduce 
people to what this series is. And I'm actually so pleased that you're the first guest that I had. Well, I thank it's you. A great no, it's been great. It's been a good conversation. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. And um, I mean, I look forward to, to many more. Maybe not on record, but I always like conversing with you. It's, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's absolutely cool. Cool. All right. Thank you very thank much. Thank you, bro.